Hey, you, come here. My name's Bob Gordon, and this is Hibernation, a podcast dedicated to finding out how folks are getting on with life in this period of isolation due to COVID-19. Joining me from where the city is a song is Cav Templey from Eskimo Joe. Cav, how you doing? Bobby G in the house. How are you? I'm pretty good. And in the house is the operative word, although um, <laughs> uh, things have have lifted uh, a, a little bit since uh, w- we last spoke a couple weeks ago. But uh, you know, we're still in uh, in the semi lockdown era and everything. How's it been treating you? almost a slight bit of disappointment that we're emerging out of our cocoons already. Um, the streets filled with cars once again, and, um, you know, all musicians are facing a long road uphill before we all get start to play shows again. So um, I think reality is, is part of the uh, emerging from isolation. You emerge into reality, which is not, you know, has some good points and some bad points. Yeah, well, you know, some people... Um do it better than others, I guess, the, the whole isolation thing. Um, and as a uh, songwriter artist, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that, you you know, you're one for reflection anyway. So how's it been for you taking isolation in when you are kind of already used to it? Yeah, look, it's totally the, the world of the writer is sitting in a room by yourself for long periods of time until, you know, that moment strikes and you get you get that, that uh, flash of inspiration. So it's it's been pretty much like that except under the lens of this of the current world that we're in and it definitely adds a flavour to how you create. I mean, um, I think all artists uh, generally, you know, no matter what they're writing about, they'll they'll take the current, you know, circumstances that they're in and, and inject it into their songwriting or whatever art form they do. And I think that this um, this kind of feeling of like you know paranoia and um, and fear and all those kinds of things that that I think the world is going to take a little while to recover from has definitely gone into all of the songs that I've written in this time. Yeah, well, you're been one for engaging with your online audience uh, very well over the years in general. But um, I mean, this has been a, a, an era where we've seen you know different people different artists step up in different ways and you've you've had a few things going firstly with song performances from quote unquote the moon yes yes no i am actually physically on the moon that was my attempt itself of uh you know distancing myself from everyone i thought the moon was a safe place to be so that's fairly far away maybe i could i could record a couple of uh songs and, and send them back you know, to take the veil of, of, uh, of mystery away, that that's actually from my studio. And um, this year in Eskimo Joe, we were actually leading up to um, a re-release of A Song as a City, which was a really important record for us. Um, mm. And we've, we've gone through a series of re-releasing all of our um, back catalogue and putting out all of the demos and stuff. And it's, but A Song as a City was quite an interesting era because... We, we kind of became musical orphans for a little while. Like we, we took some terrible advice and got it and tried to get out of our record deal. <laughs> and, um, uh, and it just meant that we possibly were never going to work again. So we spent that, that, you know, two year period of isolation, of musical isolation, you know, in a little jam room in Fremantle. And we wrote um, about 
two records in that time that got boiled down into A Song's a City. And so I've just been kind of going through all those songs bit by bit. And, and while we haven't been able to perform, I've just been, you know, just recording versions of that in my studio and sending it out as my weekly social media update. And I find social media such a weird thing. I mean, sometimes I'm like, yeah, this is the new world. I've got to embrace it. I'm going to be an online artist. And then other days I'm just like, fuck this. I just want to be a real artist. Like, what's this fucking online stuff? So I kind of go round and round in circles with it. But I feel like, you know, doing actual performances and editing together videos and setting them out feels like a much better representation of who you are as opposed to a selfie at the beach. Well, that's right. And it's probably a lot more fun than the old school uh, pen and paper writing replies to fan mail. Yeah. I like, apparently, one of my, I'm a big fan. I don't, I haven't read his books in years and years, but it was a big part of growing up. I was a big fan of um, Tom Robbins, yeah. who wrote, you know, even Cowgirls Get the Blues and Jitterbug Perfume and stuff like that. Apparently, he still handwrites and uh, replies to every piece of fan mail that he gets. And uh, since I heard that advice, I was, so I heard that, that information, I was like, oh, my God, I've got to write to him. I still haven't written to him. I, I, I just, <laughs> but I want to get that handwritten reply from Tom Robbins. Yeah. I think that's a lost art. I think more people should be writing letters to people and, and getting handwritten responses. Well, that's right. The handwriting, the signature is, you know, it's... It's something. I guess it's why people still want autographs. That there's a, an essence of the person in the pen on the page. But I guess so. Yeah, yeah. There's, some, there's definitely we could dive deep into that if we wanted to. But yeah. let's let's, <laughs> let's, let's let that go. I, I like how you've always have a, a lot of your personality in your your delivery and your art, and uh, I do like that the crescent moon that appears in in those uh, videos that you do online is was actually a, a prop from from your wedding. That's correct. Yes, we had a very beautiful, lovely artist friend, Melanie McClue, who's a great, um, she builds sculptures and stuff. Yeah, and she just literally um, built that from scratch for us for our wedding. And yeah, we had it on stage and had all because we have a, my, my, me and my wife Beth have a um, blended family of four kids. So we had them all kind of sitting around the moon. And then we actually had a boat that we brought in and we got married on a boat. So there was a boat and the moon. It's romance. It's great. You there? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm yeah. still here. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <Just> smiling. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you were smiling. And you also have a podcast called Hat Jam, which was pre-isolation, but it does seem perfect for, for this time. A songwriting podcast. Tell us how it works. Well, Hat Jam um, was something that I've been mucking around with for years as a game. I think I first started to do it with my good friend Steve Parkin. And um, I basically wanted to come up with an idea of, because I'd just come out of uh, Black Females Red Wine, we toured it for a very long time, and I wanted to create something where it wasn't just like me sitting down on an acoustic guitar, you know, being sad guy on, on the guitar. So I, I was like, okay, let, let's come up with a game. So I, I knew Steve would be up for anything. So he came over and I was like, what we're going to do is we're going to put names into a hat of all of our favourite bands and songs that they've written and we're going to like shuffle up the, the hat and we're going to pull out some names and so we did that as an experiment and we ended up writing a bunch of songs for the album Inshallah which is probably why it's got a slightly kind of you know schizophrenic feel to it. it it jumps from genres a bit around and that's probably because of the hat jam thing cool. but, um, but you know fast forward to years later when I suddenly decided 
this would make a great podcast. I sat down and started to contact some of my friends and said, do you want to play this game, Hat Jam, and we'll turn it into a podcast? And thankfully, people said yes. And what it is is, yeah, we, we literally pull a name out of the hat and the first name is the verse and we have to write uh, a verse in the flavour of, of whatever that name is. So if it's like Eurythmic Sweet Dreams, you know, we're like, oh, we need a kick drum and a dark chord progression. And, uh, and then we pull out a second name and that name is the chorus. So then we write um, around that chorus. And sometimes they fit together really well and sometimes they're really, really clunky. But um, at the end of every episode, I say I, to the artist, I give them a chance to kind of, you know, turn it into whatever song they want to. And I say, can you now come back and perform it? If you were Josh Pike, you know, recording this for your own record. And that way we kind of get to actually stop recording the conversation at that point in time. And, and then we, you know, just look at the song and go, okay, we've got some cool elements here. How do we turn this into a, a scratch demo? And every episode's been amazing. It's it's a really interesting left of center way to look at how people go about creating because when you give people these really strict parameters, they can't just kind of go, oh, here's this little thing I do on the guitar or the piano. They suddenly have to kind of go, oh, okay, I can't just jump to this chord that I always jump to and they and, and they have to create within these parameters. And the lack of options gives you a much better insight into who these people are as artists. It's really interesting and I've learned so much from everyone who's come through the show so far and we just completed our first isolation special. Okay. I, did, uh, I recorded a episode with a lady called Dallas Frasca who's a, a Melbourne musician. She's mm. an amazing singer. And uh, yeah, we so... We had to do it a little bit differently. We were recording ourselves and having a Zoom conversation at the same time. And basically each time we would get to the point where it was time to jam on an idea, I had to like come up with a little loop and then send it to her, have a cup of tea. She'd send back her vocals. We'd put it on top of the loop and then on we'd go with the show. So we were still creating everything in real time like the other episodes, but we had to wait and, you know, because we were sending stuff you know, across the Tasman back and forth. Not the Tasman, sorry, the Great Sandy, I should say. That's that's cool. Uh, so that's Dallas Frasca just recently, and you've yes. uh, Josh Pike, and you've had Sarah McLeod and Kevin Mitchell, yep. Timothy Nelson, and that's... Ben Lee, I believe. Yes, Ben Lee was the last episode we managed to get recorded before COVID came down on us. Um, we actually recorded that at his place in Laurel Canyon out in um, LA and we did that and then we came home and then a week later no one was allowed to travel anywhere so we had to sit on that for a while and the really frustrating thing is as that came out and then it went up to number two on the charts the, the, the podcast did and so we were like oh my god this is happening like you know a couple of weeks went by and we didn't release anything and it just dropped off to nothing so we oh. had our moment in, uh, but you know hopefully we'll have that moment again Bob. With the song that you did with Ben Lee, I believe you did some home cooking? Yes. Uh, in about the first 10 minutes of the uh, bee pressing record, Ben was like, you know what I reckon we should do? I think we should eat some magic mushrooms. And I was like, oh, God. I hadn't done anything like that, I think, you know, for over a decade at least. But, you know, I have played in a rock and roll band, so I have done many, you know, silly rock and roll things in my time. These things happen along the way. They do, they do, and um, so yeah, we did it, and 
uh, I had to, yeah, basically trip balls while I was hosting a podcast, recording and producing this thing and, you know, dealing with the man, the myth, the legend that is Ben Lee. Yeah, I kind of came out of that and just wanted to kind of huddle in a fetal position for a little while. <laughs> but luckily I, you know, managed to emerge from my fetal state to edit together the podcast. And it's actually one of the more interesting podcasts because Ben... The way that Ben works is he um, he needs this point of tension to create. So he's continuously pivoting in this argument with you. And for some people, that's probably fine. For me, I was just like, whoa, dude, this is really heavy. But, um, but it made it a really interesting podcast because he was continuously, you know, basically fighting against whatever we were doing. And again, it was a really interesting insight into how he creates. Yeah. It's interesting because his song, he's kind of a man for the times because... Uh, his song or the phrase, and the phrase captures, you know, thoughts of the song, we're all in this together. Um, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he's uh, out there. Where is he, Nevada? No, he's in LA, but oh. he's um, up in Laurel Canyon. Oh, which okay. Is, which is a very musically romantic place in itself. Ah, uh, right. Well, he, it's good to have him somewhere, anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So 2020, other than your, your visit to Laurel Canyon and the places you went on the way and back, has been, I guess we'll call it so far, an inside year. But for yourself and Eskimo Joe, 2019 was really quite an outside year because you did lots of shows and, and touring during the, uh, first off, the Black Fingernails Red Wine show. What was it like doing, you know, that album in full type show? And especially when you're revisiting a work from, you know, a decade ago. It was an absolute buzz because, you know, there's songs on that record that we haven't played in a long time. So it was nice to get reacquainted with those because you, when you're touring and you're out doing your kind of greatest hit set, you just tend to kind of play the hits. So it was nice to go back and, you know, play songs that we really loved and put a lot of time into. But we also put a lot of time and energy into every record we make and we think a lot about what song comes next and how they all bleed into each other and we always think of the album as a complete piece of work so it was nice to play that piece from start to finish um it was really satisfying and um and that was really we did that one show in Fremantle and it went gangbusters and we thought well let's let's do this as a proper show and so that was what we were kind of gearing up for for this year oh, was yeah. to go out and play a song as a city and black fingernails you know from start to finish back to back but it looks like we won't be doing that until may or june next year so we'll see how we go if we're still, okay, okay. still surviving we might be working at mcdonald's by then so uh, yeah. actually i said a decade it's it's more so if you do do it next year to be like 15 years old that album i think yeah yeah well i mean yeah song as a city was 2004 and Black Females was 2006. Yeah, it does fly. Except if you count the days one by one, then it doesn't. But otherwise, it does. Other other highlights of last year was doing the quiz night with uh, your good self. Yeah, that was that was lovely. And and uh, actually, last week was the first anniversary of when I did the very first one uh, with Donna Simpson from the Waves. And uh, and yours was in about August. Yours was about the third one we did. Yeah, that was a lovely experience. And at Frio Social, which is, that's actually also where you did the Black Fingernail show. And um, yeah, it's amazing because we just don't have events like that at the moment. And so in a way, it makes it seem even longer ago than a year. Yeah. And it's yeah. weird. And also last year, you guys played at the um, at Optus Stadium here in Perth at the uh, 
to the NRL state state of origin game, which was like yeah. historic that they held that it was held here. I, I've seen some very good photos and footage yeah, of. I'm sure you have. Yeah, that's that's my son Cooper out there. He says hello, by the way. Uh, hi, I'll say hello back again. He's uh, he's kicking massive goals. Yeah, yes, we we do like him. I mean, you're played, you know, AFL finals uh, and things and halftime shows and that. And what's it like doing those? Because you're you're playing to so many people, but they're also they're so far away. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of like a weird, surreal dream where you know you're on top of a like of that particular one at Optus Stadium. We were like it was pissing down with rain, so we couldn't actually be out. One of us, so they put us up the top of the stadium, so we're like up on this kind of cliff top looking like straight down at the sea of people so it becomes like a weird kind of semi-nightmare experience except that you know nothing goes terribly wrong but you can also feel quite out of body those experiences i mean i remember uh playing a really huge show i think it was live earth i think it was called mm. um at the sydney cricket ground and that was like around about 2007 and it was i think there was like eighty thousand people in, in the actual audience and then it was getting streamed out to like a million people, you know, all over the world. And they had another one happening simultaneously in Melbourne. And it was such a huge show that, you know, you kind of get out there and all you're doing is concentrating to not like mess up the song. It kind of can be hard to really just enjoy the moment. But you end up having this out of body experience where you're kind of watching yourself do this show because like you, it's hard to explain. Mm. But then you come off and it was, it, and it's, Another surreal experience uh, is that last year Eskimo Joe opened some shows for Jimmy Barnes, which is, uh, as an Australian act, uh, something to be very proud of. But uh, for opening for Barnsey to crowds in Australia is, is also quite a tough ask, I'd imagine. Yeah, they, uh, they're pretty diehard fans, and you'd see like you know the same fans at all the shows because he's that kind of act, and you know Jimmy Barnes has become this. You know, he's managed to stay around for long enough and, and continue his popularity that he's neither cool or uncool. He's just like Jimmy Barnes, you know, and you get out on stage and you do about a million scissor kicks on stage and you're like, wow, we worked really hard and the, and the crowd gives you a mild clap and then someone will say, wow, that, were, that was really enthusiastic for a Jimmy Barnes crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so we really enjoyed it, but probably the, the most amazing moment was being asked to come out on stage and, and sing Good Times with, with Barnsley. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to have Jimmy Barnes' sweaty arm around your neck singing and have a good time tonight was, was definitely one of those. I didn't realise I had a bucket list, but that was my bucket list moment. It was on it. What's it like hearing his his scream? You've got it through the foldback or whatever, but he's also like about, I don't know, 20 centimetres away from your ear. What's it like hearing <laughs> in all natural, right in your ear? Um, it's otherworldly. He has like, I mean, even watching him go out on stage, he screams for the first like four or five songs. Then it's like that's his vocal warm up, and then his voice just kind of clicks into gear, and he can actually like, you know, sing in tune. It's, it's, I don't know how he does it, but yeah, it was just extremely surreal. Like it's such a familiar voice that one, and yes, very loud right there in front of you, and no rehearsals, of course. He's just like, yeah, yeah, just come out, mate, come out, mate. You'll be fine, you'll be fine. And I'm, you get out, then you're like, oh shit. Um, and then. 
and um, I think even when I played it, like I stuffed it up and I came in with my Mary Mary a bit early because it's got this weird amount of time. Oh, drum thing, yeah. And Barnes, he was on top of it. He, got, he just pointed to someone and pointed to someone else and the whole band came in at the right time. So it was all good. Ah, uh, Barnsy. That, but that's not the first time you've been asked to fill in uh, a certain Michael Hutchins' shoes, is it? No, I, I had a really surreal moment where Chris Murphy, you know, the, the, the bulldog manager of um, In Excess, cornered me at this festival and it was about, it was, yeah, it was probably about Inshallah time, so it would have been about 2008, 2009 maybe, and he was like, this is what we're going to do, we're going to tour America Eskimo Joe are going to support and then you're going to get up and sing uh, and do the set with In Excess and, and do the Hudson's parts. And I was like, you know, felt pretty honoured to be asked, but I was like, that's kind of physically impossible to, to do a two-hour stadium show every night and sing with Eskimo Joe. But on top of that, I've kind of got my own thing going on here. Like, I'm, I'm doing my thing. I don't really want to do someone else's thing. And he got really funny straight away and got really, like, serious. And I had to inject Kath, our manager, between me and him <laughs> as he kind of went red in the face. But I realised we all kind of, it all started to add up because all the NXS guys had started to kind of rock up to our shows and be backstage. And we're like, oh, this is cool. The NXS guys are hanging out. And really, I realised they were kind of grooming me to get on stage and start to sing with NXS. And right. I think when they saw me play, at, oh, we played a show at the Horton Pavilion in Sydney. I think they saw me play and they were like, no, he's not the guy. Right. <laughs> so can, can... I didn't have the, uh, the the stalking the stage front man vibe because I'm part of a band. I'm not a front man. So right, yeah. Because yeah. around that time you'd sung on the tribute album, uh, sort yes. of to themselves kind of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I'd sung on that and they they all uh, were a fan of the Black Fingernails record and really enjoyed the sound of the record and the vocals. And we'd also recorded it in Gary Gary Beer's old studio. So there was many, you know, kind of aligning of the stars with us and in excess at that point in time. Yeah. And I think we'd kind of, we'd set out to try and make a very widescreen record, but uh, in saying that, you know, we're indie kids through and through. We, we were never that kind of band, so... It's funny and also because, you know, surely, you know, uh, Terence Trent Darby or John Stevens or <laughs> someone was still out there because they did have a sort of a revolving door for a while, didn't they? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And I think, you know, with those guys, when they did the reality television show, I can kind of can kind of understand where they were coming from in some ways. Like they wanted to get out and play these songs that they'd worked on and written and toured for years. Um, but they didn't have their lead singer, so they wanted to get someone else to do it. But I think doing the reality TV show was a was a deal with the devil. You know, once they went there, there was no coming back from that. Yeah, JD Fortune's probably still waiting at the airport somewhere for for them no. to come and pick him up. Apparently, he was a character and a half as well. <laughs> I heard so many stories. I mean, that was the one of the interesting things about hanging out with those guys a bit, and also other people around them as you hear all the stories. Yeah, he was just a very strange, strange character. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So one thing I've noticed with Eskimo Joe is that in recent years, I mean, you've done reissues and then you did the orchestral shows and everything, but you did give each other a lot of space, I don't know, over kind of the previous sort of four to five years, which which is really good because sometimes I think, you know, once upon a time, bands would just go, well, we've done this and um we're a little bit weary of it and each other let's call it a day 
but I, I don't think breaking up bands. I'm not saying you should have, but by the way, um, uh, but but you know sometimes it, it just seemed to be the, the way that it was. And I always think of Dave Faulkner reforming the Hoodoo Gurus because it was like, why can't we play when we want to or record when we want to, sort of thing. And do you think you know that you you each went off and did things, and you're always in in the loop and everything, but you did give each other space. And do you, do you think that's maybe an important factor? as to why you're still going and operating strongly? Yeah, look, I think for bands to stay together longer than, you know, five to ten years, there needs to be a uh, chemistry with each other. You know, you need to actually just be people who connect really, really well, you know, on whatever magical level. And people can see that on stage as well as, you know, feel it in the music. So I think that in Eskimo Joe, we are definitely a really good complementary um, personalities with each other um, so that works and we worked really hard in keeping that relationship alive and, and going but I do believe like any kind of marriage or you know very long term relationship like Eskimo Joe's over 20 years of, of friendship and making music now there has to be a rebuilding of those relationships again and, and I really think that you know, we got to the end of this, you know, this continuous two-year cycle where we were, like, just writing, recording, touring, and, you know, it's very hard for people not to become cynical at some and and not appreciate what they have because it's so about commerce. It's about, oh, we've got to keep the machine rolling and stuff, and, and that's not really conducive to making good art, if you ask me. But there's some magical things that happen in that time, but I don't think it's, I don't think people are going to make their best work while they do that. So there was definitely a feeling amongst all of us that there's other things that we want to do in our life apart from just live on this treadmill of doing this thing year in, year out and keeping everyone's jobs going, you know. Um, so we all stepped away for a couple of years and, and it felt like the right time. It felt like if we step stepped away and we can, can keep this going um, and then when we do kind of decide to make a big push for it again, like, Maybe people will miss us and, you know, maybe people will go, oh, yeah, those guys, they're a great band, you know, as opposed to, oh, those guys again, you know what I mean? Mm. So we managed to step away. Joel, you know, has been doing some amazing work in production, producing a bunch of different artists, and he's that's always was really his role in Eskimo Joe as well, so he's really enjoyed stepping into that much more professional level. I, you know, really wanted to do some other artistic projects. So I've done a bunch of things, which I won't go into, but one of them, you know, was doing a solo record as well as doing Hat Jam and bits and pieces and mm. just collaborating and writing with different people and putting out different artistic things that aren't just this one mould. And Stu, you know, was always the best at putting a spreadsheet together in the band and he uh, went off and was the managing director of RTR and then now Fairbridge Music. And I think, you know, we shared we shared the same, like, universe for such a long time. It was just really refreshing to go away and just establish ourselves as our own people. And now that we've come back together again and we're writing some new music again and we're getting ready to do some shows and all kinds of bits and pieces, it feels really fun and really exciting and different, like not, not the same feeling of when we were 19 years old, but, but really good. And I feel like we've actually had to destroy those relationships and rebuild them from the ground up and, and it's given us this whole new lease of life which is really really important yeah i i love the fact that when you first played that you didn't have enough songs to play like a 20 minute set at a band competition and you uh would put in uh you know excerpts from um uh, local television commercials and 
of course, uh, the rainbow connection. Um, and and you're still going, you know, 20, uh, where are we up to? 25? 20... 22 years or 21 years later. 1997, where are we now? Yeah, we're, yeah so we're 2020, so, so yep. 23. There you go. That's amazing. You couldn't fill 20 minutes and now you're hitting up 23 years, so. We still argue about not having enough songs for the set list. <laughs> <laughs> we get there, we're like, an hour and 20? What are we going to play? <laughs> Uh, it's good to hear. keeps you keeps you driven. Yes. So isolation has changed a little bit in the last week or so, but we don't know how long it will con- uh, continue in this form. We don't know if I don't know something might spike again and then it may change back or whatever. But what's your mindset looking forward? Because it seems there's lots of plans, but it's just that you've got to hold off kicking on with them uh, until the time proves. Uh, that it's allowable or whatever. But, yeah, what's your mindset looking forward in terms of being somewhat isolated still this year? Well, it's funny because I had a conversation with uh, with Josh Park the other day and that we chatted at the beginning of the isolation and we were like both like, yeah, this is great. We're going to homeschool the kids. Yeah, no worries. We're going to go out. We'll do some shows. We'll just put it on pause. I think it's a really healthy thing to slow down. <laughs> Our conversation two days ago, like, this is so crap. Oh, my God. We're never going to make money again. Oh, homeschooling just takes up all my time. You know, it was hilarious. Just like a bunch of grumpy old men, basically. But I think the mindset is uh, it's not going to be the same. Coming out of this, it's been a, a monumental shift uh, in people's heads and how they want to approach live music and all the rest of it. And one of the things that was tricky but cool during this time is stuff like the Isolates festivals and those things. Like, great idea, but really it's just an, another way to, for you know, bands to play for free for people and give their stuff away for free. I think that in Australia, you know, we have such a hard time you know, giving the arts, especially like modern music, which is so vitally important for who we are, the time of day or any funding. And so Mm. um, I think the thing that's going to be really tough is that, you know, the music industry are going to be the last ones to, you know, be able to get out there and do what they do. You know, schools are already back. There's like high schools with like 4,000 people all walking around together, but yet we're not allowed to do a gig yet, you know, for another year. Um, so unfortunately, the problem is is that you're going to see a lot of agencies, venues, bands just fall by the wayside because they can't maintain themselves. I mean, and what me and Josh were talking about a little bit was that, you know, if we can sit this out, you know, bands like ourselves will be able to be okay because we've got this established, you know, name and brand and songs that people know. So we'll be able to pick up, you know, where we left off to a certain extent. But there's a lot of up-and-coming bands who just won't make it through this. And I think that's that's really shitty. And I think the mindset at the moment is how can we, um, you know, keep our soul but kind of spread ourselves out a little bit more, you know, find out other ways that we can, we can make money doing what we do. I mean, I'm really, really stoically proud about the idea that I make money as an artist. Yeah. And 
you know, I'd probably have to put in a lot more hours to say something like the Hat Jam podcast than someone would get going to an office and getting paid that money. But I believe in it, and at the end of the day, I feel really proud that I've created something brand new that no one else has ever done before. You know, like I feel really proud about that. So the mindset is to continue doing what we're doing, but we're all going to have to work twice as hard again to get half the amount of money. And uh, I think that's going to be a bit of a tough slog. So a couple of years of that, I mean, I'm not totally negative about it, but I'm. But there's a reality that this is going to be a really tough time for the arts. Yeah, it's uh, that's very true. I mean, maybe the creative upside is is the kind of the the music or the art that will arise from this period. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a few minefields to kind of get through uh, in the meantime. But yeah, we've got a lot of lot to think about, and also would appear a lot of time to think about it. I think the mindset, and this is a terrible mindset for any artist, is how do we make money. Mm. Yeah, and and that's the thing, you know, during the uh, bushfire period, which now seems like everything, well, not for people who are obviously still reeling from losing their homes and things, obviously, but as a new, as a thing on the news, it seems like a long time ago because of this coronavirus era sort of thing. But yeah, it was musicians and the music industry the first to step up, and then when uh, maybe the hat has to be offered the other way charity single and, and put mm. it out and all that, that money that is made from that song is still going to people from the bushfire release but if you go onto Spotify and you press donate it, it takes you to support act which is a great you know organisation and it, it helps you know people in the, in the music industry who don't have superannuations or, or those kinds of things I think that's a really good thing but really what they should be doing is just giving musicians like you know better royalty rates <laughs> right yeah when you stream this song, they're going to make a dollar, you know, not 0.5 cents or even less than that, you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and, and in terms of the uh, the packages that the government has uh, handed out, and yeah, a lot of artists are still at the back of the line, kind of with their one hand in their pocket and the other hand thinking about, you know, putting it out, <laughs> just just seemingly not considered in the whole mathematics of it all. It's, it's this idea that, that art is of no value, that it's a, that it's a, a lovely hobby that some people do, whereas really the only way that we're going to, you know, save our souls through this time is art. You know, if we come out of this and, like you said, there's been some amazing art created and, and in the reflection space, you know, we, we give space to the artists to go, this is what people went through because they're the people who are going to tell everyone. It's not going to be, you know, the administrators, it's going to be these people who are magically get everyone's zeitgeist and turn it into this one thing. You know, they're the people who are going to, you know, explain everything in, you know, the reflection space. So really, I don't, I don't, I'm not holding my breath for it, but I really hope some funds go into the arts to help that happen. Yeah, we all certainly do. And I look forward to hearing more of your reflections uh, <laughs> from from your space. So, Cab Templey, thanks for hibernating with me on Hibernation. Thank you so much, Bobby G. Thank you for joining me on Hibernation. Until the next time, look after each other. We're worth it. <laughs>